Welcome back to Honestly Well. I am Marissa Fay, your host and the person whose voice you hear the most here. I am a holistic and functional nutritionist, and I'm based in Denver, Colorado, but I work with clients all over the country to help heal the root cause of their symptoms and of what's just getting in the way of them feeling well. This podcast is all about a real and honest take on what it really does take to be honestly well. And as a part of that, debunking, demystifying, talking about the merits to all kinds of uh, suggestions that we receive around what will make us healthy and what will make us feel well. A little caveat here. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not diagnosing, prescribing, doing anything of that nature. And this is not medical advice. All right. So now that we got that out of the way, I am so excited to bring you today's podcast and the topic because it is the number one thing y'all ask me about on social media. Uh, and here's a plug on Instagram. I'm at Marissa underscore Faye. Um, but every time I share a glimpse at uh, you know a client's de-identified test results or I talk about this, everyone always has more questions. And I've thrown up a few polls recently to say, is this something you want to learn more about? And people say yes, and then always DM me. So uh, I thought it would be best to put it into a podcast because this is not a short thing to explain. So today we are talking about food sensitivities. <laughs> so uh, let's start out first. I want to debunk something, which is a lot of folks ask me, is this real? Because my doctor says it's not real. My uncle says it's not real. My whoever else says this isn't real. Is it actually real? Yes, it is real. It is a scientific measurable thing that happens in your body. Now, the reason someone like a doctor might tell you it's not real is one, because they don't understand it. And that's true. So in the research, we know the pathway of a sensitivity. We can see and identify somebody is reacting to something, but we don't actually know the exact pinpoint mechanism. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And so because of that, you know, a lot of Western medicine providers will tell you it's not real. I also want to be really clear in telling you all uh, food sensitivity testing is not created equal. And we're going to speak specifically about uh, the one that I use, which is called the LEAP MRT. And it is truly uh, the in double blind studies. So that is the most rigorous type of research that can be done. Um, to remove as much air as possible. In those types of research studies, this is found over and over again to be the most sensitive and the most specific food sensitivity test. Now, what that means is sensitivity means that uh, every time it's identifying a positive, it's correctly identifying that. And specificity means every time it's identifying a negative, it's correctly identifying that. And in the case of the MRT, uh, it is over 90% in both of those categories, which is really outstanding. Um, and the science is super duper cool. We're not going to dig into that too much, but if you have questions, feel free uh, to hop on over to Instagram and leave a comment. I'm always happy to engage in more conversation there, or you can DM me. 
So first, let's get our language clear because there are a lot of people who are confused and I don't blame you. Like what's an allergy? What's a sensitivity? What's an intolerance? When I go out to eat, you know, my friend all of a sudden says they have an allergy to gluten. Is this real? Um, And so I want you to understand that these are actually three different concepts and it's going to get a little complicated and maybe a little convoluted, but I'm going to try to speak very clearly. You're going to notice I'm not going to overly science you. Uh, If you want to overly be scienced, I have resources. I'm happy to share those with you. Send me that DM and and we can do the thing. But I want you to just have have a high level, clear understanding of this, okay? So let's start with a food allergy. So a food allergy, right? That's like you eat a certain food and your immune system has a response to that. So your immune system, I think of it like uh, the soldiers of your body that keep you safe and try to keep out foreign invaders, okay? So they are trying to keep your body one sovereign nation. (laughs) And in the case of a food allergy, you eat something. And it activates a certain set of troops that are trained to attack a certain type of thing, okay? And these troops, when they go to attack something that they see as a foreign invader, they release something called histamines. Histamines are your immune system's response often to things that it is allergic to. And that is why right? When you have an allergic reaction, who hasn't, uh, you know, maybe been bitten by something or uh, maybe had an experience with hives or something getting puffy uh, or just seasonal allergies and reached for Benadryl, right? So Benadryl um, is an antihistamine, for example. Now, these antihistamines, they're going to counteract that histamine response, right? And in the case of a true food allergy, you're going to see somebody react pretty immediately, right? Like pretty right away. So think about someone who maybe has, um, you know, peanut allergy. So, so common in kiddos these days. And wow, that's a conversation for another time. But anyways, um, if somebody's allergic to something like peanuts, they may be at risk for something like anaphylaxis, right? And that is um, something that can result in death. It's that dramatic drop in blood pressure. It's that extreme swelling happening around a person's airways. Um, It's very scary, right? Chances are, if you're an adult listening to this, you probably know if you have one of these scary uh, allergic reactions. I will tell you, I am not an expert and I do not uh, diagnose, right, people's food allergies, right? For that, you're going to go to a different kind of specialist. Um, But what I want you to understand is that is just one pathway, right? One type of troops that your body has your immune system has to react to things that it comes in contact with that it views as a foreign invader. Okay. So food allergies, one way of doing it. Now I want to shift to food intolerances. So food intolerances, um, I really feel like this is one where like the actual words mean something, (laughs) Um, which is, it's kind of like your body just simply does not want to tolerate 
the behavior, right? Like it does not want to tolerate a particular food. And with food intolerances, we often see in this case that um, it can be isolated to things happening in your gut. And when it's happening in your gut, while your gut and parts of your gut play an important part of your immune system, it's not your entire immune system. And what we see is that your body's often lacking in or something is amiss with the materials that it needs to break down, absorb, and utilize something that you are eating, right? And so a really common food intolerance that you've probably heard is lactose intolerance. So these are folks who are often, um, they are unable to produce enough lactase. Lactase is a specific enzyme that helps your body to break down lactose, which is the sugar in dairy products. And it just makes it hard for the body to digest anything that has that lactose in it. And so you get um, all kinds of yucky symptoms that can be, you know, in the more near term, things like nausea, things like diarrhea, things like, um, you know, extreme bloating, or even minor bloating. So things like that, that points to an intolerance. Okay. Now, some things that I talk with my clients about are food intolerances right? But it's really important here that I make it clear, the testing that we do is not testing that specifically assesses a food intolerance, okay? So because of that, when you have lab work done to look at a food sensitivity, you need to keep in mind there are other ways that your body could be reacting to foods, So for example, if the results from a food sensitivity test come back and it says you have a moderate sensitivity to eggs, right, but you have no reaction to salmon and you notice that when you eat salmon, your gut is not happy, right? It is like evacuate right now, right? (laughs) That maybe a food intolerance, right? And so that would also be something that if you were working with someone like me, we would want to address and we'd have particular ways and mechanisms that we do that. Okay, so we have food allergies, we have food intolerances. Now we have food sensitivities. Food sensitivities, they are um, they are going to be handled by a different set of troops than that allergy that allergy troop group from your immune system, right? So remember, immune system is there to keep your body safe, to protect it from foreign invaders. We have a certain set of troops and their job is to take care of something like a food allergy and they are going to set out to do their job, right? Then they release that thing called histamine. That's what causes that reaction that we see pretty immediately, okay? In the case of food sensitivities, it's a different set of troops that are trained to deal with this type of issue, okay? And so um, when we are considering food sensitivities, a lot of tests are looking at antibody reactions, okay? And antibody reactions are not a great way to assess food sensitivities. And this is one of the reasons that I really like the MRT test. Now, MRT stands for mediator release testing. 
And one of the reasons I think that it's a bit superior and that the research has shown and the data has shown that it is superior is because it's looking to see what is happening after your immune system comes in contact with something it is sensitive to. It's not so much caring about how. It's just looking to see, is there that inflammatory response occurring? Yes. Okay. Now, I will tell you, a lot of folks use food sensitivity and food intolerance interchangeably, okay? And you can understand why, right? There is a response happening from the body. There is an immune response, but it is coming most likely from different places, right? The the initial response. So I do want to highlight that. And it is entirely possible, and it does often happen with folks that I work with where a food they are sensitive to, right, that it comes back in their lab results that they are maybe highly reactive to, that they're also having an intolerance issue with that food, okay? And I know that's complicated and it's not black and white. And I invite you to refer to the episode about uh, leaning into the gray that I recorded, um, which is this is something that has some gray. So this is you know, a plus one for working with someone who can really interpret the data from a food sensitivity test as opposed to ordering it through a third party yourself. Um, I know there are some at-home kits right now, and I would just really caution you on that whole sensitivity specificity, right? Like when it's saying something is negative, is it consistently doing that? When it's saying something is positive, is it consistently doing that, right? Because your results may not be very usable then. Um, and maybe kind of confusing. Um, The thing about food sensitivities, and this is where it can get so dang tricky, these types of reactions can occur hours after you eat the food, days after you eat the food. There's even some suggestion weeks after you eat the food. Um, And so because of that, you can now start to understand why food sensitivity may be so dang useful. Okay. Some of the common symptoms when somebody has a food sensitivity also are things like uh, a headache or maybe some changes in their bowel movements or maybe kind of that fogginess, that tiredness. They might have acne or just a few pimples that crop up. They might have um, itchy or really dry skin. So my question to you is how do you discern, right? Like I feel like all of the symptoms that you can have from food sensitivities are things that a lot of folks live with day to day, you know, like, okay, once in a while I get a headache. I'm not even going to think that's related to what I ate three days ago, you know? It is also why I use elimination diets really strategically, So an elimination diet is when you take out a number of foods and you live your life for a certain amount of time not eating those foods, and then you reintroduce one at a time and you notice if your body is having a reaction. So I'm going to tell you, and this is what I find with my clients, and this was my own personal experience, that oftentimes when folks do an elimination diet, they may glean something from that experience that they should avoid, especially in the case of, you know, the top five things that folks tend to be most sensitive to. And that's going to be uh, gluten, dairy, soy, corn, oh, and eggs. Yeah. 
And so, yeah. So if you remove one of those and your body is having a, a highly reactive sensitivity to that, then for sure you might really notice that with an elimination diet. But here's the rub. What if you are having a reaction and a high reaction to something that you eat on the regular that you've been told is really healthy that wouldn't normally be a part of an elimination diet? So I'll just give you some examples of in the last week, some of the foods that came back for some of my clients that they were highly reactive to. Avocados, pineapple, salmon, chicken, spinach, garbanzo beans, right? Like the list goes on and on. Basically, anything that you're eating, you could possibly be reacting to. You could possibly have a sensitivity to. And so you can now understand why an elimination diet poses problems, you know, if there's something really going on and you want to get down really down to what's happening. Now, I still think there's a time and place for, you know, resets in in your dietary life um, where you might, you know, take a month and maybe pull out certain foods because you've um, had a little bit more of them in the, in the month before. I'm thinking about when folks like take sugar out of their life and that can be a really positive experience. Um, I also want to caution folks who have a history of disordered eating that I'm not suggesting that that is the ticket to health, okay? Um, and to definitely, you know, make sure you're getting the support that you need if if you do decide to go about something like an elimination diet. Now, with that said, you're exposed to things every day. You're eating things every day that you may be sensitive to, Okay. So when I run the MRT test, food sensitivity test on my clients, we get back a report that shows us foods that they are non-reactive to, foods that they are moderately reactive to, and foods that they are highly reactive to. And then based on that, they remove the foods that they're reacting to from their life for a certain amount of time. Here's where what I do with the MRT test is probably different. In fact, I know it's different than what a lot of other providers might do. So I, I know there are a lot of big wig functional medicine docs out there who talk about how they use the MRT food sensitivity test and they have their clients remove everything that comes back that they're sensitive to and, and just carry on with their lives. So that means that you go from being able to eat hundreds of kinds of foods, right, different foods, to being able to eat 150 kind of foods, right? And that doesn't sound so bad, maybe, <laughs> unless you really, really love something that, that you're being told you're sensitive to. But then what happens is that over time, you're probably going to have more sensitivities, right? And so you go through this process again because some symptoms come back, some nagging things come back, something feels like it's going wrong, and all of a sudden you have 100 foods that you're not reacting to, and that's all you can eat, and so on, right? And the reason this is problematic is because food sensitivity does not occur in a vacuum, all right. Nothing that happens in your body happens in a vacuum. I just want to, as an aside, say that everything is connected. Okay. And in the case of food sensitivity and food intolerances, we need to be curious about why the body 
is having a reaction, right? And so in the case of an intolerance, right, if things are happening in the gut, if there's inflammation happening there, if the body is not able um, to produce or utilize the resources it needs to deal with that food, to digest it, to assimilate nutrients, and then to pass whatever is waste, then it would make sense that we would need to look into the gut, right? And it would make sense that something is going on in the gut that's likely inhibiting this process. Here's where it gets tricky. It could also be something outside of the gut, but most likely the gut is involved in this process. Likewise, with food sensitivities, similar thing, right? How did this sensitivity even develop in the first place? right? Like you weren't sensitive to avocados two years ago, all of a sudden it shows up on your report. So a couple of things. One is overexposure. We are really into being creatures of habit, right? We're really into eating the same thing like for six months. (laughs) Um, And that is problematic. Your body really needs variety. And so eating the same thing over and over again is kind of a sure way for your body at some point in time to be like, well, We're done with spinach. Like we've had spinach every day for the last year, lady. No more spinach, right? (laughs) And if we think of it in a really simple way, it's the body saying, we need variety. We need to get nutrients from something different. We need different nutrients. You know, there are seasons and phases and stages of life and literally of our environment. And it's really important to be honoring that and working within that. Uh, And we'll talk more about that in an upcoming episode that I have planned is like eating with the seasons um, because that's a part of this. But the other piece is um, there's something called leaky gut. And I know this is another controversial topic that uh, some folks will tell you is not real. One of the reasons that happens is because it is not officially a diagnosable condition in Western medicine. But it is very real, I promise you that. And it has to do with the junctions of your intestines, which over time, if they're irritated, if they're unhappy, if they're inflamed, if things aren't working like they should be, they start to relax. By the way, this is one of the reasons I tell most folks to avoid gluten. Gluten causes a reaction, a release of something called zonulin. Zonulin tells the junctions in your intestines, hey, it's cool, relax. And they do. And when our our intestines, the lining and the junctions relax, it creates opportunity for things to get outside of your intestines where they don't belong. And then your body has something to say about it. So all of that is to say, When I work with someone and we do food sensitivity testing and we consider food intolerances as well, we always do gut healing work. Always. There are rare occasions where I will run a food sensitivity test alone and that's like special circumstances. That's like we'd have to have a discussion and and you'd have to understand the drawbacks and the benefits to it. And there'd have to be some special circumstances because I hold pretty firmly that these things are not happening in a vacuum. And so food sensitivity testing really should happen in tandem with gut healing and, and depending on what that means with some testing of your stool. Because 
The ultimate goal is that you actually end up with more food freedom, that you actually end up able to eat more food variety, right? And also that like you understand how your body's talking to you. So my clients who have been through a gut healing protocol, which often includes this food sensitivity testing, will tell you months later that they really learn that that headache that they seem to get once a month now because they've been eating a certain food all the time, that they can really start to understand that's their body's response. That's their body saying, something you've got in the regular rotation is not really agreeing with us, right? Because sometimes that food sensitivity really can be an over an overuse, right? An overconsumption and overexposure. But until you have been through gut healing, I would say, I don't want to say guarantee, but it but it's nearly a guarantee that part of the issue has to do with some healing work that needs to be done. And by the way, when I say gut healing, I'm really speaking specifically about parasites, toxins, worms, the nasty stuff, the opportunistic bacteria. I'm talking about that stuff that has a way of surviving and thriving in the right conditions. And most of us have lived a life where those conditions are present. And there are actually many cultures where they do like annual um, annual protocols, right? To address that this is a part of life that you're going to ex- get exposed to these things. So we'll talk more about that in another episode because I could go on and on about gut stuff and about poop <laughs> in the best possible way. I just want you to know. Um, but I hope that that cleared up some things about food sensitivity testing and, and the difference between allergy and intolerance and sensitivity. And again, I just want to encourage you, if you're experiencing any, any of those kinds of symptoms that kind of, I think of them as like kind of chronic or cyclical symptoms. So there are things like the energy stuff, the occasional headache, the dry skin, the sometimes upset stomach, the sometimes diarrhea, the sometimes constipation, right? Those are all good indications that something is going on in your gut and that you could probably benefit from this type of testing. Um, I want to make sure one other point that I've made it really clear that, you know, Say, for example, you worked with me or someone like me and you did um, some gut testing and you did some food sensitivity testing and there was a protocol developed for you and you followed the plan for a certain amount of time. There should be a phase of reintroduction. So there should be a phase where you learn how to reintroduce the foods that you removed and, and how to discern if it's something that you could have back in your life you know, occasionally, a couple times a week, or if it's something that you still need to give your body a break from. And so make sure that no matter who you work with, that this is a part of their process. Because like everything in health and wellness, very few things are all or nothing, right? And so this is a good example of there's gray here. 
And that's why it can be so important to have someone help you and guide you through this process. So I would love to hear your thoughts, your questions about this. Uh, I have an Instagram post up for this episode, and I just invite you to jump over there and feel free to comment or send me a DM. I would love to continue the conversation um, about food sensitivities and answer any questions you have about it. Um, I am Marissa Fay. I am so glad you have joined me here today. Tell a friend about this, right? Tell a friend, tell a buddy, tell a family member. Uh, My intention with these podcasts is that they're short enough for you to do it while you're engaging in a healthy habit, right? So go for a walk, put me in your ears, make dinner, put me in your ears, you know? Um, Give yourself a little bit of time to care for yourself and also learn something new. So with that, you can find me online at www.marissa.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Marissa underscore Faye and on Facebook, Marissa Faye, Functional Nutritionist. I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. I'm so grateful to all of you that have been listening and an invitation to drop a review. We're on Apple. And by we, I mean me. (laughs) We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere that you might listen. Uh, And with that, I just remind you all to take care of yourselves and be well.